evening. I'm going to start reading in verse uh, 1 of chapter 3 and read down <clears throat> through 17. Would you please stand for the reading of God's Word this evening? <clears throat> Share the Word of the Lord. Now, there was a man of the Pharisees named Nicodemus, a ruler of the Jews. This man came to Jesus by night and said to him, Rabbi, we know that you are a teacher come from God, for no one can do these signs that you do unless God is with him. Jesus answered him, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Nicodemus said to him, How can a man be born when he is old? Can he enter the second time into the womb and be born? Jesus answered, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born of the water and the Spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. That which is born of the flesh is flesh, and that which is born of the Spirit is spirit. Do not marvel that I say this to you. You must be born again. The wind blows where it wishes, and you hear a sound, but you do not know where it comes from or where it goes. So it is with everyone who is born of the Spirit. Nicodemus said to him, How can these things be? Jesus answered him, You are the teacher of Israel, and yet you do not understand these things. Truly, truly, I say to you, we speak of what we know and bear witness to what we have seen, but you do not receive our testimony. If I had told you earthly things uh, and you would not believe, how can you believe if I tell you heavenly things? No one has ascended into heaven except the one who descended from heaven, the Son of Man. And as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, so must the Son of Man be lifted up, that whoever believes in him may have eternal life. For God so loved the world that he gave his only Son, that whoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. For God did not send his Son into the world to condemn the world, but in order that the world through him might be saved. The grass, the grass was at the flower phase, but the word of our God abides forever. Please be seated. And go to, let's go to prayer. Pray for me as I preach this text. Pray for yourselves as you sit on the proclamation of God's word. Our Lord and our God, Heavenly Father, God of all creation, and we ask you this evening to be with us as we come to consider this brief text, one that's so familiar to us, one that we probably memorized as children, yet one that is rich with grace rich with loving kindness, rich with encouragement to us. So pray, our Lord, that you would be with me as I preach, be with the congregation as they listen. Pray, O oh God, it would fall upon us uh, 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 willing ears and uh, with a mind that is open and, and grant the grace of understanding. In Jesus' name, amen. It is likely that John 3.16 is the New Testament, what Psalm 23 is to the Old Testament. Most of us memorized Psalm 23 as a child. We all knew John 3:16. You learned that in Sunday school uh, from one of your Sunday school teachers, I feel certain. And John 3:16 is one of those verses that you'll see people put on a poster and hold it up at ball games. Yeah, I'm not sure why they do that, but they do. And they don't have the verse written out, just the reference to that verse. And it is that John 3:16 is quite familiar to us. And it might be that it's too familiar to us, if you understand what I'm saying. It might be that you've heard that familiarity breeds contentment. Well, I think familiarity breeds carelessness. As we fail to really dig into the breadth, uh, the depth, 
of this wonderful verse, John three sixteen. So we think about someone that you know that you simply don't love them. You can't. There's something about them you just don't like it. You can't put your finger on it. Perhaps that's not the case this evening, but perhaps at some time in your life that was the case. There was just somebody, and you could not love them. As a matter of fact, you couldn't stand them. You didn't want to see them. You don't want to talk to them. You don't want to be around them. You want to be free from them. Well, we're human. We sin. And we may be offended by other sinners. But the marvel of this text is that the God who is rightly offended by sin, the God in this text who rightly brings condemnation against sin, is the God who, for his own purposes, has chosen to love a people who are the antithesis of all that he is, of his righteousness, of his holiness, of his grace, of his mercy. Here is the God, Jesus said, so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. And we notice this in the first place, that God's love for his people is absolutely unmerited. God so loved the world. And it is not the world in the sense of universalism. And that is that everyone at the end of the age is going to be saved. There will be a grand homecoming at those last days. And here will be those who hated Christ. Here will be those the likes of Adolf Hitler. Here will be those the likes of, of uh, uh, Saddam Hussein and so forth. Uh, and there will be a big happy homecoming at the end of the ages. That's not what the Bible teaches. That's not what this is teaching. And so here in John 3.16, it is not so much the who, but it's the what. That is in mind here. We all know, according to the scriptures, there will be a judgment. And there will be those in that judgment who will experience the wrath of God. It's clear in the Bible. In Romans, in Revelation 6, 16, it says they'll be calling for the mountains to fall upon them. Hide us from the wrath of the Lamb. Hide us from the justice of God. And grant that we may be covered by these rocks in order to escape this horribleness that has come upon us. It's very, very clear in the Bible that there's going to be a judgment and there will be people in hell. Not a pleasant thought. But there will be people in hell. You know why? Because God is just. And that's why. He offers to the world the opportunity to come to Christ. What does Paul say in Romans 10? How will they hear without a preacher? So it's incumbent upon us to share the gospel. But those who are in hell, I'm sure many of them have heard the gospel and they have rejected the gospel. So what is in mind here in John 3.16 is the mass of fallen humanity. Here is the world in a hopeless condition, a helpless condition. There's nothing that the world, the people in the world can do in order to redeem themselves or save themselves. So it is as God looks upon the world. As he considers the world in its lostness, as he considers the world in its rebellion, as he considers the world in its, in its uh, hastiness to sin against him, there is a compassion there for those who make up the race of men upon this fallen world. So it is that he so loved the world in its lostness, in its hopelessness, in its uh, uh, sense of deadness that he expresses love toward it. Again, not universalism. You're not teaching that everyone in the world is saved, but it is as a mass of fallen humanity, God had mercy upon us. And this great love of God for us, the motivation for it, as we see here, 
is God's own good purpose. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. And it is God's purpose from all eternity that he would love us. You all know the text in Ephesians, at least I hope you do. Ephesians in the first chapter. Uh, that uh, and you remember as we read through that, studying through that, that, that the, for, the first 14 verses of Ephesians uh, 1 is, um, is uh, one sentence uh, here, one for even as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and blameless before him in love, he predestined us. There it is, in love, he predestined us uh, to be. Uh, for adoption to himself as sons through Jesus Christ according to the purpose of his will. So this gathering in of God's elect, this salvation of individuals in of the world is all a part of God's express plan. And what moved him, what motivated him was his love. Isn't it a marvelous thing that you do not have to merit God's love? He couldn't do it. He loved me. I'm be like Joel Osteen and repeat after me. Say this: uh, He loved me in spite of what I deserved. He loved me in spite of what I had done. He loved me in spite of what I was going to do. He loved me in spite of what I would do years down the road. He loved me in spite of the fact that by nature I despised him. And you know that you did. You may say, "Well, I was a good Joe. I was a good fellow. I was a good lady. I was a good woman." But by nature, you despise the righteous God who sits. And rules above all things. By nature, we hate them. By nature, we hate holiness. By nature, we hate righteousness. We despise them. And yet it is as we were in that condition of lostness and rebellion that God chose to love us. What does it say in Jeremiah 31, 3? I have appeared to him from afar saying, I have loved you with an everlasting love. Therefore, I have drawn you to myself in loving kindness. There's the answer. It all rests upon God's love. In spite of what we deserve, in spite of what we were, he loved us and chose us to have eternal life. And so this love that God has for us is entirely unmerited. It's not that we could do anything. It's not that we did anything. It's not that God saw that we would do something. He loved us in spite of who we were and what we deserve. The second thing is this love of God for his people is unbounded. Listen to how he expresses it here. For God so loved the world. His compassion was so deep. Uh, His affection was so uh, expansive that it was that he chose to uh, grant uh, salvation to a group of of helpless people. When uh, the Lord Jesus Christ is speaking to Nicodemus here... um, He wants Nicodemus to understand that it is of God's grace, that it is of God's mercy, and it is of God's love. The Pharisees, as you know, uh, they had a great many laws. And those laws were a way of making themselves right with God. If they did certain things, uh, if they did enough of those things, that would be pleasing to the Lord and a part of their salvation. And Christ points out here that's simply not the case. Uh, the reason for salvation, the reason for the certainty of redemption rests not with us whatsoever, not with what we can do, but rests solely and completely upon the God who is the God of love. And Christ here explains the gospel message in such an absolutely beautiful way. This is the gospel. 
What's the gospel, the good news of Jesus Christ? And he says it here. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son. And here's that great gift that God has given to us, and that is the gift of the Lord Jesus Christ. He gave. And if you know from the scriptures, he sent. He sent his son into the world. And what a great expression of God's commitment to us. He knew what was going to happen to Christ. He knew it. He knew what was going to happen to his son. And this message, this I, the uh, uh, the language here, uh, for God so loved the world, he gave his only begotten son. Uh, uh, a more accurate way to interpret that is not begotten. Uh, Dr. Raymond wrote about this in the systematics. It is a monogenes, unique, one and only. And Dr. Raymond did not like the term begotten because he said in his mind it, it suggested subordinationism. Uh, but Monogenes is the unique one, the only one. And so Christ is the one and only Son of the living God. And it is that He loved us so much that He sent Christ. He desired to save us so much that He sent His Son to be brutalized. And if you know from, from Isaiah uh, 53, and you read about what seems to be being described there is the Roman cross. He was pierced for our transgressions. He was bruised for our iniquities. The chastisement that was upon him uh, was for our good. And then you look down at 53 and verse 10, and you read this. It pleased the Lord to crush him. And so it's not describing there simply the Roman cross. He was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. Who was doing the piercing and who was doing the crushing? It's God himself that was doing this. It is God that was chastising his son upon the cross of Calvary all for our sakes. And to the extent that Jesus cried out to him, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Oh, the hell, the pain that Christ had to be experiencing on the cross of Calvary. And listen to this. It was all for you and me. That's the gospel. You understand what I'm saying? Is it that uh, familiarity breeds uh, thoughtlessness? Uh, familiarity can cause us to be a home about things. This is a rich, rich text. It's marvelous. It is the why of redemption. It is the how of redemption that God giving his son, the Lord Jesus Christ, in order that he may redeem us to himself. Well, how do we see God's love in our life then? Well, we see it through the ordinary things day by day, do we not? Right? Why do we have rain? It's by chance. That's why we have rain. Why do we have the wind to pollinate the flowers? It's by chance. That's why we have wind. And why do we have the little bumblebees that go around and pollinate the flowers? Well, it's by chance. All of these things just happen. This is an expression of God's love. Because he loves us, he provides for us. He provides for us our food. He provides for us the beauty of the creation. He provides for us uh, the uh, the wonders of uh, the depths of the ocean. Y'all may not care about that. I do. It's just so interesting to me. I love the ocean. love the sea. And all of that, as you think about it. I, I saw a, a film clip. This was deep, deep, deep in the water. Solid. It was completely dark. There was a shark down there. Very, very large shark. is blind. It doesn't have, can't see. Nothing to see down there anyway. And this shark was messing with this submarine that was down there, a little submarine, a little personal sub, you know. 
That's not by chance. That's by God's design, the wonders of the creation. And then also that he gives us family. He gives us friends. He gives us a church. All of these are an expression of God's love to us, the day-by-day things that we often take for granted. God gave them to us. But the supreme way in which we see God's love for us is in the gift of his son. The greatest gift that God could ever have given us is the gift of the Lord Jesus Christ. Because it is because of Christ and Christ alone that we have a place secured in heaven. We're not going to hell. You're not going to hell. If you're a believer, you're not going to hell. I don't doubt anybody's conversion here. No need to. But it is a great marvel of God's grace and kindness to realize that you have a room in heaven. We can't begin to contemplate the greatness of that. And again, all because of the love that God has for us. Again, the greatest gift that we have is the gift of the Lord Jesus Christ because there is our redemption, there is our salvation, there is our hope. And uh, it's uh, not that uh, our greatest needs uh, are met through other things. They're not met through. Our greatest needs are not physical. They're not emotional. they're uh, They're not financial. The greatest need that you have is met by Christ, which is your need to be righteous before God. And that's what Christ provides for us. What, what must we do to be saved? Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and you shall be saved. Trust in the Lord Jesus Christ and you shall have life everlasting. Again, Jeremiah 31, 3. The Lord appeared to him from afar saying, I have loved you with an everlasting love. Therefore, I have drawn you to myself in loving kindness. Listen to what John Calvin says. Our mind cannot find calm repose until we arrive to the unmerited love of God. You know what he's saying? Again, our mind cannot find calm repose until we arrive at the, um, at the truth of unmerited, the unmerited love of God. Just imagine if day by day you had to do something to earn God's love. Yeah, you'd be driving yourself crazy. Have I done enough today? Will I do enough tomorrow? Does he love me today? I don't know. I don't know if I've done enough for him to love me today. Calvin is exactly right. It is when we come to understand that, his unmerited love for us, that we have peace of mind. That I can't, listen, I can't do anything to cause God to stop loving me. It's impossible for me to do that. He loved me in spite of what I was, who I was, and what I deserved. He continues to love me in spite of what I do. Because there's a choice that he makes. It's not something that I merit or earn whatsoever. And then this. Um, don't cheapen God's gift, which is the gift of the Lord Jesus Christ, by thinking in any way whatsoever that he was just an ordinary man. He was God in the flesh. It wasn't just a man that was suffering on the cross of Calvary. It was a divine being. The eternal Son of God, again, don't cheapen God's gift uh, that he sent to us out of his love by thinking Christ was an ordinary man. He was not. And as we look at all these things, you can ask ourselves this question, does God really love me? Have you ever asked yourself that? Most people have. And we ask it in times of trial. When things are not going the way we thought they were going to go at all. When we experience something that simply was entirely unexpected, 
uh, I don't know if all of y'all know this. I may have told you before. I can't remember. But my, my daddy was six months old living in Rockport, Kentucky. And his father went to town to get sugar. He didn't come back. Six months later, my granny got a card from him. He was in, in Carbondale, Illinois. She didn't hear a word from him for six months. What do you do with the God of love at that point? What do you do? You rest upon him. You rest upon his promises with the certainty that he loves me. How do I know he loves me? Cross of Calvary. He gave his only begotten son that I might have everlasting life. And it is in the midst of those trials and difficulties like that. Can you imagine your husband leaving? You don't know where they are. Six months later, you get a card from them. He's at his sister's house in Carbondale, Illinois. And where's God in this? Does he really love me? Why does he put me through this? He didn't. The choice was my grandfather's to leave. It was his choice. Did God sovereign over it? Yes, it is. Can I understand it completely? No. But I know that God is perfect and holy and righteous. He did not tempt my grandfather to leave. He left of his own accord. Our God is a God who is gracious and merciful. And again, we see that great love for us expressed ultimately in the Lord Jesus Christ. So don't ever doubt God's love. When you have uh, heart-wrenching news given to you, when you are disappointed beyond explanation, uh, remember John 3:16 that it is God loves us in spite of what we deserved. He loved us from all eternity, and He secured us to Himself through the work of the Lord Jesus Christ. Let's pray.